Welcome, welcome, welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. And each week, we talk about what's going on in the world. And as we talk about that, I let you know my thing is this, about what's going on in the world. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. Stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. What's up, what's up, everybody? It is the week ending January 24, 2022. We're in the new year. We got new things going on. A lot of new things going on. There's some interesting things happened this past week. As you all know, if you've been keeping up, coronavirus is still here. Omicron is still here. People are still starting to get frustrated and tired and all those things. And in the meantime and in between time, we got a lot of stuff going on politically. One is which is, you know, of course, the, 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 Stays the vote um, in terms of how they, you know, did this thing with the voting and how, you know, we all know what it is. If you guys been keeping up with it, you know, that last election and the folks like, shout out to Stacey Abrams, Val Demings and all those folks who mobilized people down in Georgia to get out the vote to get folks out and you know when people more and more people of um, African American descent going to the voters booth the Republican Party did everything they could or has done everything they could to try to make it so hard for uh, folks to especially folks of color to vote shouldn't be no limits it shouldn't be no you can't have water. You can't get people water standing in line. I mean, all just let everything be free, free people free to vote. You know, there's a couple of things I, 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 you know, I had a conversation with somebody earlier today, and the conversation centered around, you know, a lot of things going on politically, right? And so, um. And it also centered around wealth, which I'll get into later on in this podcast. But, of course, you know, they did that. And, of course, Senate Majority Leader, or Senate Minority Leader, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, came out and made some comments earlier this week, made it seem as though African Americans was a different set of people than everybody else. Black people vote at a similar rate or, or similar rates to Americans. African Americans aren't Americans. Black people aren't Americans. You're, con- you're, 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 you're basically taking one group of people and telling them that live here, have the right to vote, have the right to participate in this global economy, go to school, go to college, pay taxes, the whole nine. But when it comes to voting, you separate them from everybody else. Hmm. African-American voters cast ballots similar to the rates, at a similar rates to Americans. Wow. Okay, Mitch. But, you know, people got upset about that, and people on social media were going off, and I only had one thing to say, and that's, why is everybody surprised? The ugly truth is that we live in a country still rooted in racism, sexism, 
all those other isms that you can think of as ism, right? And so it's no surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, that these things are going on, these things are happening, and people are still saying what they say. Now, I think the tune would change, but you know what? Matter of fact, let me hold that up. Let me pump the brakes. I'll save that political comment for when I get into the other topic that I'm talking about, about when it comes to wealth that was trending, or should I say that was presented on Sunday, you know, early Sunday morning, this this Sunday morning on CBS News, on the CBS Morning Show. So let me jump to the entertainment real quick. Enough about Mission of Republicans. I'm not going to waste my time and breath on that. We all know what it is and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> there was a celebrity breakup that happened. And I'll also talk about a tragedy that happened as well um, pertaining to a celebrity as well. And I'll touch on that after I touch on this. But um, celebrity breakup. My favorite hot girl back when I was a young man, and I think every young man in America had a crush on this girl when she first stepped foot on the campus. Well, I ain't even stepped foot on the campus, but when she first appeared over in Brooklyn Heights in the household of Dr. Claire, I mean, Dr. Heathcliff and Mrs. Claire Huxtable. And that's the second oldest child that they had, a daughter named Denise Huxtable. So it made the news this week that Denise Huxtable, a.k.a. Lisa Bonet, or should I say Lisa Bonet, also known as Denise Huxtable, and her partner of 14, 15, 16 years, Aquaman himself, Cal Drogo himself, Cal Drogo himself from Game of Thrones, Jason Momoa have split. They have split. Now, I won't profess to know exactly what happened with them or why they split, but it's just, you know, people are saying or the reports are is that, you know, his career has taken off and now he's doing more, so it means he's more, he's gone more, and that was one of the reasons why they split. Some people are saying they had a difference in philosophies because, you know, people grow and the experience and the philosophies change over time. And that happens. You know, you just got to figure out a way to work through that. Right. But Lisa Bonet, a.k.a. Denise Huxtable and Jason Momoa has split. So, you know, another high profile celebrity marriage is kind of going their separate ways. I wish them the best of luck. God bless both of them. Hopefully they can stay engaged enough and civil enough to be parents to their two young children. You know, of course, you know, Lisa also was married, I think, once and also has a child that's now an adult now, Zoe Kravitz, uh, with the Roxy Rooker's, Roxy Rucker, Roxy Roker son. Remember Roxy Roker from the Jeffsons, Helen Willis? I think those were her names, Helen Willis, her and Tom Willis. Anyway, uh, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz was uh, with Lisa Bonet at one point. Um, and they had a daughter, Zoe. And Zoe is now a Hollywood actress herself. 
And so Lisa Bonet and Jason Momoa have split. And the only reason why I'm adding this into my podcast, because you know, Lisa Bonet was the girl back in the day. I probably wanted a piece of Lisa Bonet. Anyway, switching gears to some tragic celebrity news. Um, over the weekend, we learned that um, Regina King's son, Ian, um, passed away at a young age. I think it was 20, 20 some 26 maybe, I think. But he passed away, and uh, apparently he passed away, uh, caused the death of suicide. Um, so shout out of prayers of comfort and support for Virginia King. Virginia King is a bad sister, man. You know, um, she should have gotten her dues from Hollywood, her props and her flops from Hollywood a long time ago. You know, there's, you know, she's, she, <laughs> you know, she started out on 227 and of course has played a lot of roles. And of course, as she's matured into a full blown grown woman doing things, doing things, making things. You know, I thought um, her HBO, man, the HBO show uh, she did with my brother, you know, where they flipped the script on racism, you know, that remake. Um, that thing was off the chain. I thought she played a great role in that. You know, she was in uh, the Western movie that just came out on Netflix. Um, she did a great, you know, major TV series. The Regina King is putting in some work, man. She needs her flowers, man. She's also done some interesting roles. You know, her most famous role, and you see people playing it out now on TikTok. You know, where you know they'll do a TikTok video, and I guess the husband or the boyfriend is in the shower, and you see the girl, girlfriend, or the wife come in, and with a belt wrapped around her arm, wrapped around her hand. And spraying baby oil all over the shower floor and asking where he been, you know they came from, they came from that movie. I think it this was it this Christmas. I think it was. Was it this Christmas? Liza Alonso um, played her husband in that movie when he was cheating on her. When she found out, she put that baby oil on the floor, took his towel, got that belt out. And whipped him good and took that Cadillac Escalade and ran off the daggone ledge and crashed and burned. She finally woke up. But big ups to Regina King. Um, Should I say prayers up for Regina King and her family? Um, Also, you know, Ian's dad, that uh, his father as well. You know, prayers of comfort to him as well. But just prayers and comforts for, you know, all that loved and knew Ian. Um... Everybody show support for Regina during this difficult time. Shifting gears, I want to talk about something I came across. You know, I'm a follower of Christ, member of the First Baptist Church of Glenard here in Glenard, Maryland, in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And um, if you have the Bible app, the U, I think it's the U Vision Bible app. They have uh, Bible plans on there, devotional plans. And I did one called the 10-Day Word Fast. And it has some interesting topics in it. It was 10 days, but it covered five areas. And it covered each area 
for two days of two days of devotional for each area, and of course they had scriptures with them, and um, they were talking about you know criticism, complaining, judging, gossip, and sarcasm. And so I wanted to talk today about complaining, because when I read it, it kind of opened my eyes up a little bit about what that looks like. You know, um, and the author of this talked about how, you know, we complain, you know how, you know, you're a parent and you got this child that you've pretty much, you know, because most of us now that are parents have always vowed that, you know, when we become parent, we when we become parents, we're going to give our children better than what we have, right? And that typically holds true because, you know, you got a lot of kids out here now that are growing up in 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 square feet houses, you know, got access to luxury vehicles, got their flat screen TVs on the wall in their rooms, got all the latest technology, gadgets, whatnot, whatnot. And I'm not saying all kids have it that way because, you know, there's some kids out there that are struggling, have parents that are struggling. And they don't have those benefits. But for the most part, a lot of kids out here growing up had the benefit of really, really, you know, benefiting from the fact that their parents have said they're going to give them more than better than what they had. So they're benefiting from that. But in that, though, children can become ungrateful. You know, they can become ungrateful. You know, the ungrateful child to you, the parent, right? And so the author of this devotional talked about complaining, and he talked about those of us that are followers of Christ that complain are like those ungrateful children to God. Interesting, right? Interesting. Caught my attention, you know. And, you know, it talks about how, you know, by complaining, you know, we're basically telling God that we don't trust him or believe him. Or believe in him and that he fulfilled his promises, you know, of helping us break strongholds and negativity and stuff like that. And so, you know, when we complain, we create this air around us that can't host his presence, you know. It's like an emotional pollution that sends this emotional virus into the air. And it can, it can get contagious because as soon as you start complaining, check it out. Right, and we're going to walk into a room, and all of a sudden somebody starts complaining. Nine times out of ten, other people are going to chime in and start complaining too. So that's what that emotional pollution looks like. When you put that emotional virus of complaining in the air, and next thing you know, other people start doing it. I don't know if it's science, maybe it's human nature, whatnot. Don't know. Don't know. I'm not a scientist. By trade, uh, but we also we blind ourselves when we complain to the goodness of Him, or the goodness of God, and things that you know that we have, you know, the blessings that He's bestowed upon us. Not everybody has a house, a roof over their head, or a job, or a car, or money in the bank. You know, the health and strength. And so when we start complaining, it's like you know we're saying to God. We're being an ungrateful child. You've given us 
the house, the car, the job, all these things, and we still complaining. So, you know, we blind ourselves to that and sound like ungrateful children. And so, you know, we can overcome that complaining spirit. How? By focusing on all the good things that we have, the great things that we have, the things that the Lord has delivered us from, the great things he's blessed us with. That's how we get away from complaining. And we all do it. I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and on this podcast and act like, you know, I'm perfect. Because my thing is this, ain't none of us perfect. Because this is the my thing is this podcast. None of us are perfect. We all complain. We all gossip. We all have some sarcasm. We all judge. We all have criticism. We all are critical. Or have been critical or done all these things at one point. So I'm not going to sit up here and have y'all listen to this podcast and say, who the hell do you think he is? Telling somebody about complaining. I heard it complaining the other day. Or I heard it complaining about something. Blah, 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 blah. Last year, that joker was just complaining about this. And he now talking about complaining. Well, I'm not sitting up here saying I'm perfect as if I don't do it, I've never done it. I'm just saying I'm reading this devotional and I'm trying to apply these words in this devotional and truly be grateful for what I do have and not complain about what I don't have. Be grateful that I have a job and not be complaining all the time about the job. You know, that's what this is about. So if we start focusing on the good things, all the great things that have come our way, because we all have a testimony or something we can testify to that we were in one state of being and then over time we've improved and gone to a better state of being. That's a testimony. But guess what? Here's the rub. We, you didn't do all that. We didn't do all that on our own strength. We need the Lord's strength. We need his blessings. And so we turn that complaining into focus on the great things. So when you're ready to complain, stop and say to yourself, do I still have a house? Do I still have my health and strength? Does God still love me? Do my family still love me? Think about those things. Next time you start to think about complaining. Somebody cuts you off on the road. So the complainer say, I pray they get there safely. Well, I pray that they slow down so no one gets hurt. Instead of saying, hey, look at that butthole. Cutting people off. Or completely going into a road rage about the person. Yeah, they cut you off. Did you crash? Probably not, no. Okay. Well, get yourself together, keep it moving. And just instead of saying, cussing that person out, say, hey, I hope they get there safely. I pray that they slow down and arrive alive. I'm grateful that I'm taking my time. I'm grateful he didn't hit me or she didn't hit me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So that's about complaining. Then it goes into criticism. 
You know, the author of this uh, devotional talks about one of the greatest dangers of criticism, the greatest dangers of criticism, which is the work of the devil, obviously, is to the unity. That's the greatest danger of criticism is unity. People critical of other people. Ain't nobody going to be unified in that. People going to take it personal. And then the criticism is often harsh and crazy. And sometimes the criticism ain't ain't really warranted, whether the criticism is true or not, you know? And, you know, he talked about the greatest criticism, most dangerous criticism. So I talked about the greatest danger to unity being criticism, but the greatest criticism danger, the greatest danger of criticism is that criticism that you have hidden in your heart that goes unspoken. This is bad secret criticism, it's as bad as open criticism. And it hides in your heart and it stops you from being honest, authentic, having integrity, and all those things when you hide the criticism of others in your heart. And again, my thing is this. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just trying to share some information with folks. That's all I'm doing. And I'm going to try to apply these principles myself. You know, one of the things we often do is we often mistake criticism and being able to, quote unquote, read somebody, right? As discernment. Criticism is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It ain't a gift of the Holy Spirit. Discernment is not meant, it's never been really said to be associated with criticism. Right? Discernment ain't associated with criticism. So how can you say, you know, um, that you have discernment or that you can read somebody, right? Because if you look it up, if you look up that word in the dictionary, right, there's two definitions of discernment. The ability to judge well. Now listen to that word criticism in the first definition in Wikipedia and in a dictionary says the ability to judge well. Now if you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia will say discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or to judge well. Wow. But then there's a second definition in the dictionary. This is a dictionary online, right? And it says in a Christian context, right? Perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. Let me repeat that. Perception in the absence of judgment with a view of obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. 
So in one definition of discernment, it says the ability to judge well. In another definition of discernment, it says perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. Wow. Wow. So you see how criticism or being able to read somebody doesn't fit with discernment, right? You got that right. Okay. And it's also not one, you know, criticism is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. Right? Right? And, you know, even if you think your criticism or what you're about to say to somebody is speaking personal words of concern to somebody, as you want to say, I'm concerned about you, so let me give you this feedback, right? If you do that, those words shouldn't be of criticism. There should be words to extort that, ex- exhort that person, to cheer that person on, right? Don't try to try to act like you're concerned and you say, I'm concerned because, and then all of a sudden you lay a criticism on somebody. You ain't concerned if you're going to lay that criticism. Right? Because my thing is this. That person knows what they did. They know what they did. And if you're going to be critical of it, then don't say nothing at all. And remove it out of your heart. And don't carry it around secretly. secretly. And then find the words to extort, exhort that person, to encourage that person instead. And if you can't exhort someone, just be quiet, man. Because sometimes the best things to be said are not to be saying things, in it, not to say anything at all. And if you do have to criticize somebody or you have a critical spirit, when you feel it coming on, take it to, take it to the cross, pray on it. Give it over to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, take these critical words out of my mouth. Help me find something better. Because you got to ask yourself, when you feel that critical spirit coming on, are these words that I'm about to tell somebody really beneficial? Are they really beneficial? Will they edify that person? Will they really exhort that person, lift them up? Or will they just tear somebody down? I'm going to read somebody. Oh, I got discernment. And let me tell you about yourself. That's discernment. That ain't discernment. That's criticism. So think for yourself. Think, think for a minute. Are these words I'm about to tell somebody beneficial? Will they edify that person? A lot of people get in trouble at work. With the old with the old fast mail, the email. Sit down, start typing something up in anger. And before they know it, they didn't click send. Take a step back. I had to learn that lesson many years ago. Didn't like something the boss was doing. Got fed up. Wrote a memo. It was very critical in that memo. And then some things happened. As a result, wasn't taken well. I got punished for it. Learned a lesson.
Learn the lesson. Professional way to handle things. You don't write a memo, document it, put it on paper, being critical. Come on, man. You know better than that. I do now. Didn't know then. Paid the price for it. You know? You got critical words. Hold on to them. Hold those words, you know? Psalms, what's it? Psalms 914 says, you know, the words of my mouth, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. So let those words in your mouth and what's in your heart, meditation in your heart, be acceptable. Stop that secret criticism. Stop that not so secret criticism. Hold it up. You know, make your speech always with grace, season with salt, so that you know how to answer each one or each other. That's Colossians 4 6. Always speak with grace. If you don't have anything graceful to say, don't say nothing. If it ain't seasoned with salt, don't say nothing. Right? Don't be that ant person. Anti-automatic negative thoughts. Not anti, but automatic negative thoughts. Don't be that ant person. Always critical, looking for the worst and missing the best. You don't want to develop that habit of having a critical view because the more time you spend in critical view, the more time you spend in criticism, that's what you become. And so it's probably only, I mean, there's really only one way to cure criticism, especially if you're an overly critical person. And listen, again, my thing is this. I'm not sitting up here saying I don't haven't done it or I, I don't do it, I haven't done it or whatever case may be. I don't want nobody listening to this podcast all of a sudden saying, oh, look at Troy Sampson. Got to put a microphone in front of him. Got a little podcast. Now you think he holding it now. Nope. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm a jacked up joker, as Pastor Jenkins would say, just like the next man or woman. Jacked up joker. I'm just saying, we all have an opportunity to learn and to get better. And I came across this devotional. And it was enlightening and delightening to me. And I want to try to apply a lot of these principles. But I just want to share them with y'all give y'all something to think about too maybe it will help change some things with how you roll as I'm trying to change the way I roll you know what I mean you know just you know either stop it and make sure you stop it and get out of your heart because you don't want to hold on to it because again it if you hold it in your heart and you don't say it out loud you're going to look at a person with a critical eye and you're not going to be honest with them you're not going to be authentic with them all those things. So just completely get rid of it. Treat it as a sin. You, you know, you want to get rid of sin, how people handle themselves and removing sin for their life. Treat it like that. Treat it just like that. All right. So, you know, there's my thoughts on, well, my thing is this on criticism and complaining. I may go over to other ones in future podcasts, like judging, gossip, and sarcasm. The judging is an interesting one because we talk about planks in our own eyes. Why, you know, planks in my own eye? Why I'm trying to point out a plank in another brother eye or sister eye? Got to watch out for that. And gossip, a lot of people don't need to know people's information. And when you gossip, right, or you judge, <clears throat> what are you doing to help the situation? Or are you just talking about it, being in judgment or gossiping about it? Because there are certain things that people that people don't need to know, right? about other people. 
has no it has no value to it to you. You say, "Oh, that joker was married before." The person you're talking to, how's that benefiting them? It ain't, and probably they don't need to know that. Or this jack, this cat, done filed for bankruptcy, man. Ain't nobody need to know that. Especially the person. What's the person you're telling it to going to do with that information? What are they going to do with that information? Nope. Sit around when they see that person coming. Mm, look at him. He think he all that. Nobody, you don't know, but we know he filed for bankruptcy. So he ain't all that. So now you know something about somebody that really ain't your business. And you use that to step to, to step up over them to make yourself look good mm-hmm. when your stuff is probably jacked up too. But anyway, enough on that. I may touch, jump into judging and gossip and sarcasm at a later date. Oh, let me speak, let me just touch on sarcasm real quick. I may go into detail in these other ones a little bit more later on in another podcast, maybe later on, maybe the next one, one after the next. I don't know. I'll cover it sometime, but sarcasm. That's the new thing now. We got so sarcastic in society. This is kind of like the normal way we talk to each other. Everybody trying to roast each other. Everybody trying to see who got the quickest, quickest comeback. Ain't no room and time for that crap. That's just like criticism. Come on, man. Keep it real. My thing is this. Well, we're already divided enough. We don't need to be divided with somebody's sarcastic comments. There's no value. All right. I'm going to shift gears here real quick. And um, take a quick pause for the calls. And I'll be right back. Like what you hear so far. Thank you, our generous listeners, and also thank the mighty man of God himself. Remember, like, subscribe, also share this podcast. I'm on Anchor FM and Spotify. Make sure you share this with your family, friends, and loved ones across all social media platforms. We are back to the show. All right, all right, all right. We're back. My thing is this podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Going into the week of that was January twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two. Well, this past weekend, or this weekend, man, oh my gosh, NFL was off the chain. NFL was off the heezy for sheezy, man. All these tight games over the weekend. You had Mister Immunized. Well, let me not be sarcastic and critical and all those things I'm just gonna kind of talking about. Well, <clears throat> Green Bay Packers. And Aaron Rodgers lost to the San Francisco 49ers in the snow on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. The 49ers went in there and beat them. There was no way the 49ers should have beat the Green Bay Packers, but they found a way to do it. They found a way to do it. So now San Francisco 49ers are on to the NFC Championship game where they will meet the Los Angeles Rams who took out the GOAT of NFL football, TB12, Mr. Tom Brady, and and as as, uh, what's his name? What's the guy? Gary Owen would say, the comedian, the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers, took out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
L.A. had their game, and then they tried to give it back. Cooper Cup fumbles the football. All of a sudden, Tampa Bay gets it back. Starts to get a little bit of life. TB12 sitting back there. People getting nervous. I missed I missed that part of the game, though. I missed that part of the game. Um, and I had good reason to. Um, my son, those who know me, know I have a son, Joshua. He is 19 years old. He is living with autism and ADHD. So he is uh, taking advantage of the resources available to us for him. Uh, Division of Rehabilitation Services for the state. Doors has um, got him in a program uh, over at the Workforce Technology Center over there on the campus of Morgan State University. Um, and his work readiness program, teaching him job skills, organizational skills, all those things. And so he started that. He's starting that tomorrow, January 24. So, but tonight, we had to, uh, we decided that we were going to sit down and have a quiet family dinner. I mean, we normally do dinner on Sundays, but this was one where there's no TV, no phones, no nothing. So we sat down and just as a family and talked and um, went over you know, the big packet of rules and regulations and stuff like that and kind of went over all that with him and just talked about, you know, getting there and getting him ready and all that kind of stuff. And so um, that's why I missed that, that ending of that uh, – of the um, football game. Plus also it was communion too, communion Sunday. Uh, so I was kind of in between dinner with one ear and listening to communion online in the other ear and um, doing that. And so the TV was off. And so I missed that part where the Buccaneers came back, but the Rams, Nat Stafford came out, did something crazy. Brought him back, hit a couple, key, one key pass, Cooper Cup, and then you know that late in the game, how you let Cooper Cup get behind the defense? I don't know, but with the numbers Cooper Cup is putting up, playing with Matthew Stafford, if he continues to go, put up those numbers next season, he's got to be considered in the top five elite wide receivers in the NFL. He's got to be considered one of the top elite receivers in the NFL. Now, typically, NFL running back, you know, those skill positions outside the quarterback, those especially running back and wide receiver, and even tight end to it. Well, not tight end to a degree, but wide receiver and running back, those are typically positions, skill positions that are dominated by African Americans. But Cooper Cup, Caucasian, he's doing his thing, man. Bunch of catches over 100 yards again in that playoff game. So we'll see what he does next week. And if he can continue that going into next season, putting up those numbers, you got to consider him a top five receiver. You got to consider him a top five receiver. You got to. The numbers don't lie. And it shouldn't matter if he doesn't look like the typical skill position wide receiver. Shouldn't matter. Should not matter. And then, of course, they they uh, they finished the nightcap <laughs> with probably one of the greatest 
divisional championship games or divisional playoff games in NFL history. You had the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills and uh, Patrick Mahomes versus um, Mr. Allen. And it was a shootout of the OK Corral between them two. Them two went blow for blow, toe to toe. And it got down where Mahomes and them came down and scored with like a minute left. Josh Allen took that team down and threw a touchdown pass to his man Davis, who had a big game. They shut Trayvon Diggs. They, oh, not Trayvon. They, they shut Stephon Diggs down. But man, Davis had like almost 200 yards receiving, several touchdowns. He caught that last touchdown, 13 seconds left on the clock. And this is where the rails came off. Now, you know, NFL coaches, um, probably some of the most sunny, you know, a lot of people when they talk about IQs, they don't talk about sports coaches, especially NFL coaches, right? Them dudes is on another level with the brain power. To be able to analyze that film of people running around, 11 people running around on each side of the ball and put together game plans and schemes, And concepts and stuff to clear people out of one way while another receiver runs another way or all that. that that's that's some Mensa stuff, man. But last but in the last 13 seconds of that game, I think uh the special teams coach and um defensive coordinator kind of got away. It must have just took a break at the Mensa conference or something. Because you got Travis Kelsey and Tariq Hill. Tariq Hill just burnt you earlier in the game with a catch across the middle that he took to the house, ran by everybody for 60 yards. He ran by people that were standing still and then gave the peace sign to the linebacker trying to run him down close to the goal line. But at that point, it was it was it was history, it was toast. It was toast. Now imagine if, now imagine this. I would love to see him really air it out, just to see how fast he really is. I mean, imagine if he had caught that crossing route at say the Kansas City ten, and then turned it upfield at about the twenty twenty five, and then that foot race down the sideline. I would have loved to see him open up, open that up, and I would love that scene what the NFL cameras would have clocked him running at. Because that dude is off the chain fast. With that being said, you got a man up on him and Travis Kelsey because the first play they did was a pass to Tariq Hill where he ran blazing up the field for like 20-something yards. Then the next play they backed off and Travis Kelsey, now you know that kicker, was it Harrison Bucker, Butker, got a long leg. He's like I think number two in the league behind Justin Tucker. The Ravens kicker, that dude, the Ravens kicker. Listen, I'm going to sidestep for a second. If, and I know the NFL is biased on special teams because my man Brian Mitchell, number 30, Mr. 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 B. Mitch, should be in the Hall of Fame already. 20, he's second in all-purpose yards behind the GOAT Jerry Rice, and that dude can't even get a sniff. No one's going to catch his return yards. No one's going to catch his return, uh, uh, kick return yards or his punt return yards. Yes, 
There are people that got more return touchdowns, like Devin Hester's got the flashy touchdown, but Devin Hester ain't put up the numbers. Nobody's numbers kick returning kicks and punts other than touchdowns compared to Brian Mitchell. And to be able to do it for that long, that dude should be in the Hall of Fame. And I say that to say that the Hall of Fame, to me, is biased when it comes to special teams, and he's the biggest example why. The biggest example. There's no reason. It's 20, 23,000 all-purpose yards, and he can't get in the Hall of Fame. Come on, bro. And if you look at the list of people behind him and Jerry Rice, he got more yards than them. I mean, these some great people. And he can't get in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, if Justin Tucker ain't the first ballot Hall of Famer, when he gets to, if he continues to kick the way he does for the Baltimore Ravens up until he retires, and he ain't the first ballot Hall of Famer, man, that's a shame. That's a shame. And Harrison Bucker is right behind him right now. Him and I think that kid from Cincinnati, that rookie, man, them dudes got ice in their veins, man. They got ice in their veins. They got some ice in their veins. And that Robbie Gold, I think it was Robbie Gold, too, from San Francisco to kick that field goal to win it. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, it's crazy. But you don't, you know, give up that many yards to get that dude into field position to kick that field goal. Because the first mistake they made, they should have squibbed it. You know, I was listening to the pundits, the, the the professionals that know football, that played and coached football at, the, at that level. Talked about it this morning. I was listening to it on the way to drop my son off at the Workforce Technology Center on ESPN. Listening to, you know, guys like um, Keyshawn Johnson and, you know, Dan Olosky and Rex Ryan, those guys that know the game. It's like you squib, if you squib that, it's going to take a couple seconds off the clock. So Rex estimated about three seconds because you got to catch it and then declare that you're down. So that's going to run some seconds. So soon you got to catch it and grab it. So if it bounces high and you touch it, you got to come down. If you jump up and catch it, you got to come down and then declare that you're down. That's going to run a couple seconds off. The, that's going to run a few seconds off the clock. Let's just say they did that. So that's 10 seconds. So now you're in a better position, right, to not allow them to get Bucker in the field goal position. So that's the first mistake. Then the second mistake, of course, was – you know, Leslie Page's defense not to double up or put somebody one-on-one with Kelsey and Tariq Hill to make Mahomes have to wait a little bit for them to clear or get open. You know what I mean? But then, you know, if you get that down and get a Hail Mary with that arm he got, you never know what could happen on the Hail Mary, but they would have given you a much better chance. I feel, I feel sorry for Buffalo. Josh Allen balled out. That dude balled out. Balled out. But anyway, enough about NFL weekend. What happened this weekend? Um, you know, Brady's got to make a decision. Aaron Rodgers got to make a decision. And it's winter go home. Some people are going home. As, as, as guys on TNT would say, go on fishing. Some people not. My next thing, and I talked about this early, and it was this article that I came across. Or should I say, CBS this morning ran this thing they called the billion dollar question. Can you be too rich? Right? And of course they had a professor and a couple of people talking, but the main catalyst for this was um, Abigail Disney. She's the granddaughter of Roy O. Disney, who is the brother of Walt Disney. So Roy and Walt are the people that started the Disney empire. And she's the granddaughter of Roy. 
And so, you know, it talked about how when she was little, she used to go into the back way and um, the back way of Disney World or Disneyland back then. And she said it was sort of cool. And she once got to see Mickey with his head off. And she thought that was the hilarious thing. And so she she had, she inherited it, you know, millions of dollars, right? And has seen this 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 wealthy life up 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 close. And so she's so she's now a social activist and documentary filmmaker, right? And she says she really believes that money ruins people. You know, and she talked about the Japanese beetle, this bug called the Japanese beetle that eats a tree from the inside out. So a tree could look fine on the outside, but eventually that joint will fall over because the inside's been eaten out, right? And that's what she says that money does that to you or has a propensity of doing it to you, you know? And, um, you know, she's been critical of her family or family business, should I say, because she couldn't understand how, you know, former Disney CEO Bob Iger, right, was making so many million dollars more than the people actually working and making it making the magic actually happen. And so she's got this documentary that she just came out with called The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales, where she's looking at the income equality in the United States economy in general, and specifically at pay and working conditions of the Disney employees. So she went out to her family business. You know, she said, this is my name, this is my family. She said, I don't have a role in the company, but I'm benefiting from the expectation, exploitation of people. Now, I find that ironic, right? And here's why I find it ironic. Because isn't that, <laughs> isn't that what slavery was? And so many people have benefited from slavery, which is exploitation of people. Think about what she said. She said, this is my name, this is my family, she said. I don't have a role in that company, but I am benefiting, but I'm benefiting from the exploitation of these people. I don't want to turn this into political conversation about race. But man, that sounds an awfully lot. That sounds awfully like slavery. And you actually have someone come out and admit something like that, that they benefited off of the exploitation of people. She says that about her family business, the Disney name, right? And the fortune that they made, right? Right? And they made the fortune off of what she said, exploiting people. But those people, a lot of people were getting paid money. They weren't being whipped. The women weren't being raped. No one was being buck broken working for Disney. Right? And she's admitting that she's benefiting off the exploitation of people. But she won't get anybody that's descendants, that has wealth and descendants. And even those whose wealth was 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 whose parents and grandparents and great grandparents had already established wealth, but it was still an exploitation, though. 
And you might have built the company, a construction company, or whatever company, you know, after slave, well, after slavery ended, right? But you, but you were able to do that because you benefited from the exploitation of people before that that made it possible for you to take the money from the exploitation of people and turn it into something that gets yourself in a position. It was a catalyst. But anyway, enough about that. Because that's not what this article is really about. You know, it's not what it's really about. She's really arguing, you know, about, you know, providing, you know, competitive pay, comprehensive benefits, all those things. And so I'm going to find this documentary and check it out. You know, um, she also talked about how she's appalled at guys like Branson, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, who, who you know, have lost them, launched themselves in the space and things of that nature. Um you know, there's one thing in the story that talked about how Jeff Bezos said when he came back down to earth, he thanked the Amazon employees and customers because you pay for all this. And it was like when, you know, and when, you know, she was asked about that, right? She said, I threw up in my mouth a little bit, right? She said, you know, the, just the idea he didn't understand the insult that he was making when he said it. Thanks for paying for my trip to outer space. What was it, 20 minutes? She didn't, She said, I, didn't, I don't think he heard what he was saying. And she said, there wasn't a single employee there at the ground level who didn't take that as an insult. And I certainly, a lot of customers took it as an insult. Yeah, it is an insult. It is an insult. It is. Amazon's making so much money they can afford to send this dude in space. Okay, if you're making so much money, right, why can't, you know, with the work, I, I've talked to people that have worked at Amazon or had people that worked at Amazon, right? And it's grueling. It is grueling. And they have certain standards you got to meet. And it was grueling. I mean, a coworker of mine's daughter worked there and she lasted a week. She couldn't do it. She couldn't take it. It's too grueling, right? And my thing is this. If you, you know, that's enough money at Amazon where you, you know, those people working their tails off like that in those warehouses, make sure everybody getting their packages on time. Amazon can afford to start them people out with $50 an hour. Heck, they even thought start them out with $30 an hour. Right? Starting pay, Amazon, sorter, $30 an hour. Right? And then you, and then, and then you base your pay scale on productivity after that. But you have a benchmark of productivity that you have to meet to make your $30 an hour. Right? Right. And then have benchmarks where if exceed it, you make more. So you can get what you need to get done on a daily basis for thirty dollars an hour. Right. But then have a carrot out there because you're going to have some people out there that's going to try to take that carrot. If they can get forty dollars an hour, fifty dollars an hour, you have some people coming that joint work their butt off. Right? Or, and I can see where that could hurt business where one week you got people in there busting tail, the next week it's slow or back down to normal and, and it could give the false impression of, you know, the speeds, right? But, you know, I would make it so that you start everybody out at $30 an hour and I would have certain time periods of on certain incentives where 
you offer that, you know, during the holiday seasons. Hey, you can make up to $60, $70, $80 an hour if you meet these benchmarks. Because think about it, holiday season, you put that incentive out there, man, people can make a crap load of money and people's stuff can get to them quickly. Instead of overnight, be four hours because people in that joint trying to make that money. If you give them an incentive, you know, the wealth gap, you know, according to the Federal Reserve data, the richest 1% of Americans now has almost 13 times the wealth of the bottom 50%. It's led some to consider maybe you can be too rich. And then there was a professor, I think she uh, is in the Netherlands, that came up with this term called limitarianism. She said, limitarianism is just a word for the thought that there should be a moral limit on how much wealth you can accumulate. So it's the idea that it's fine to be well off, but at some point, one has too much. And she's really talking about the really, really filthy rich. I mean, the really, really rich. Which, according to some statistics, they're more than those than ever. And so in 1990, the number of billionaires in the United States, since 1990, the number of billionaires in the United States has rose from 66 billionaires to 749 or 745 billionaires. This is according to a study by Forbes Data by the Institute of Policy Studies and Americans for Tax Fairness. You know, the professor uh, Robbins believes that the case against the super rich isn't just moral, it's also environmental. From the profits of businesses that haven't paid for pollution of the atmosphere to the emissions from mega mansions and private planes and the unused dollars just sitting in offshore accounts. You know, she said, there's money in the hands of those who are super wealthy that is not used for meeting their needs. It's used for luxury spending or for accumulating further and further. Whereas we have a massive problem of climate change that needs funding. You know, the world's wealthiest 1% are also believed to, to use double carbon, double the carbon emissions of the bottom 50%. And that's according to an Oxfam report. Um, called Confronting Carbon Inequality. You know? So how do you draw the line on wealth? You know, how do you draw how much how do you draw that line? Because here's here's my thing. My thing is this. There's gonna be a lot of people out there, if they have seen this show or read this article, right? On CBS News or seen it on CBS this morning, that's gonna argue, well why should I benefit why should I why should I have to suffer or pull back my wealth because I went after it, right? But see, here's the problem with that statement, right? Here's the problem with that statement. The problem is this. You built, a lot of these filthy rich people have built this wealth on the backs of people who aren't even making a fraction of what they're pulling in. You didn't become a billionaire by doing all the work yourself. That's the thing. And that's what she gets into. She talks about that. You know, she talks about that a little bit. She also says in America, you know, you now have this saying, there shouldn't be any billionaires. Every billionaire is a, is a policy failure. And she talks about a billion being way too much. You know what I mean? 
And she said, you know, and then the, the interviewer said, well, you know, whatever the line should be, it would be under a billion. And she says, yes, absolutely. She said, I think you can have a fully flourishing life and do all the things you want with, well, perhaps not with $10 million, but with $20 million. But I don't, she says, I don't think you need a billion. And so the interviewer asked this guy named Vivek Ramswamy, who's an entrepreneur, entrepreneur who has made his fair share of money as the founder of a biotechnical, uh, biopharmaceutical company, you know. Um, he said, and then the question was asked, do you think there's a point at which it becomes a problem for an individual, but also for society when not just one person, but the whole class of people has vastly more wealth than anybody else in society? And he gave a unique perspective on this, right? So let me dig into this perspective that he gave. And this is where it gets to, and, I'm, and, and this is where I'm going to go back to McConnell and them and come back to government at this point of this topic, right? He says, I don't think that's inherently a problem. He said, I'm not going to tell you that capitalism is a perfect system, but I will tell you that I think it is the least imperfect system in ultimately lifting up people who are at the bottom, right? And then, of course, there's an argument about incentives that you too could be the next Bill Gates, to which Abigail Disney says hogwash. She said her grandfather wasn't interested in money primarily. She said anyone who's just there for the money, thank you very much, I don't need to work for them. And so the professor comes back and says, so, you know, rich people say, I did this, I took the risk, or whatever I did, so it's mine, I deserve it, right? But she says, this is the truth. She said, the truth is, take any of these billionaires and put them on a deserted island and just look at what they can do. She said, they can do nothing. Can they survive? You know what I mean? So... That means for all of us, the quality, our quality of life and to a degree and the degree to which we can flourish depends on what others do. So she's basically saying these billionaires are saying, I took the risk, you know, I did this or I did that and it's mine. She's basically saying to them that you didn't. You, you got to have people to make your engines and make your stuff go in order to become rich. And so, you know, they get into how limitarians also raise concerns about the outsized impact that the wealthy have on society from politics to, to philanthropy, right? It says, and then um, the professor says, and it can, of course, be that you just fund someone who's standing for office who then becomes a president or a member of Congress, it can also be that you, for example, buy up or fund, heavily fund, say, university, university institutes. And that way you shape the way the public conversation is going. So basically what they're saying is with this money comes political power, right? You know, Abigail Disney says, you know, I don't think it's right for a private individual or group of individuals to have that much say in the direction of social issues that all of us are affected by, you know, um, you know, and of course, you know, 
Um, Vivek Ramaswamy agrees. He said, you know, he criticized corporations and the wealthy for exerting their influence on social issues. You know, he talks about the source of equality that I think we need to restore isn't equality of wealth. It isn't a redistribution of wealth. It's the restoration of the idea that we are all equal citizens. Think about that for a second. He's not asking you to redistribute the wealth. He's asking you to treat everybody as equal citizens. He says, I prefer to talk about not a redistribution of wealth, but a redistribution of, be- of duty. Now watch this. Let's go back to Mitch McConnell and, and the politicians. And to what he's saying is about a, redistribution, a, 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 a redistribution of duty, right? And, and, and what I'm about to say, and my thing is this, what I'm about to say may have people saying, well, you know, bro, you ain't going to get too many people that's going to buy into that, right? Here's what I say. I say you take political office, right? Political office. You get rid of campaign funding. You get rid of lobbyists. You get rid of all these things. And everybody running to be a politician, whether you are a local politician, state politician, um, senator, congressman, you know, whatever, um, when you get those political seats in office and serve it on Capitol Hill and in the White House, right? You know how when our elders get older, especially like parents, and they can no longer take care of themselves, and so you try to find a nursing facility or, or older folks facility for them, in order for the older folks facility to take them, you basically have to liquidate their assets so that it shows on their balance sheet that they have no income, which then qualifies them to go into senior assisted living, right? That same model should be for politics. It should be for politics, especially at the federal level, especially high at the state level as well, right? Because states have a lot of freedom. And of course, you go, you know, our federal government's the federal government. But those people sitting in political seats, should be stripped of any means of income when they serve and they're given housing and all that stuff. They're given housing and given a vehicle to drive and they earn their $100,000, dollars a year check but they're not allowed to take any money from anybody else or, and that's all the wealth that they're able to have. That's all they're able to have, right? When you serve in those seats. And you know what that means? And somebody may say, Troy, you tripping. You crazy. It may sound crazy, but listen to the idea though. Because if you take away campaign financing and the influence of outside money coming into the coffers of a, of a politician, if you make it illegal for them to take money, if you make it illegal for them to take any sort of finances, if you say, hey, you, you're a senator now, or you're a president now, or you're whatever now, right? You can receive no other income coming in. We'll freeze your personal wealth and assets. We'll sit in a separate account and just sit there. You can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. What you live on is what we pay you to be a senator or a congressman. 
We'll, we'll give you housing. We'll give you a vehicle or two. But you get paid X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that's all the income you can receive. That is it. Now, how you manage those finances, that's on you. Right? But you will take no money whatsoever from anybody. From anybody. And that right there, my friends, I think will weed out the influence of big pharmaceutical and all these other influences. It will weed it out. It will weed it out. So if you decide, so if you decide to pass a bill or a law, right, that's going to affect, say, the pharmaceutical industry, right? If you pass that law, And then once you leave that position, your finances don't leave a scrutiny. So yeah, they'll unfreeze your account, whatever you had before, but they'll monitor those accounts. And I know I, it, I know it sounds crazy, y'all. I, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm just saying that's, that's a way to weed out. Because, I mean, think about it. Money rules everything. That's a Wu-Tang Clan would say, cash rules everything around me, cream with the money on a dollar bill, y'all, right? Cash rules everything. If you got people out there that's taking money to vote a certain way, but if you take that that away to where they can't make no money at all and be influenced at all by any corporations with money or bribes or whatever the case may be, I think you will be able to weed out a capitalist-driven government, a gland-handing government, a government that you rub my back, I'll rub yours. You'll, you'll be able to weed that out, I believe. That's just my personal belief, right? That's my personal belief. So you wouldn't have folks out there being able to, um, you know, do what they do and pass laws and all that kind of stuff. All right, so I got two more topics left. And as you know, as I said before in this podcast, my thing is this podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Tune in on Anchor and Spotify FM, Anchor, uh, Anchor FM and Spotify. Um, I have a son living with autism, ADHD. I serve in a special needs ministry at my church. Um, I do a dad's group, special needs dad's group once a month. I serve on a special education board. Um, you know, um, so I'm, 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 I'm fairly active in special needs community. And so I always try to, in my podcast, add a couple stories or things that I've come across over the past week related to that. And so one of them, um, is an article that was sent to me by my two, my two special needs or, uh, uh, special education city advisory council colleagues. Um, about Prince George's County Spectrum of Hope helps families of children with autism. And so, you know, they talk about isolation is a feeling that young people, is the feeling that young people and old people have been experiencing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Those feelings may be especially powerful for parents dealing with an autistic child, right? And so it talks about a local mom who is a mother of five in which three of the five are living with autism. 
and it says that autism is a journey you cannot take alone. And so this person they're talking about is Dr. Abila Tazanu. I call her Dr. A. She's a pediatrician and director and co-founder of Spectrum of Hope Health and Wellness Health, Wellness and Community Services here in Prince George's County, Maryland, in the DMV. She was the director of One World Center for Autism. Um, she was the one that got me started with the dad's group over there called Davicates. You know, they have moms to moms, and then we created a group called Davicates where every first Wednesday of the month we get together on a Zoom call. And it's just dads with, you know, children living with disabilities. We get on there and just chop it up. We share information, we share resources. I do presentations, and then, like, every third meeting we have, we do an outing um, just to get, you know, away from Zoom and try to get together when it's, you know, in places that are safe to go to, you know, um, open spaces and stuff like that. We did one time we did, you know, me and a few dads did kick axe, kick axes over in Ivy city, right off of uh, New York Avenue in, um, DC, um, back, back there, we're back there in the Ivy city smokehouse and all those places. Um, it's an axe throwing place and you can go in there, you can have food, get yourself some drinks and throw some axes. It's like a bar and grill with axe throwing. And then once you get done with your axe throwing, I think you get an hour, I think, and then you can just sit down at the table or at the bar or wherever and just kick it. And so we did that. Uh, me and the dad of two did uh, Krav Maga. It's a self-defense class. And uh, we did that as an outing. We did a cookout in Watkins Park as an outing. Um, and so we try to do outings and stuff like that. But anyway, Dr. A, I'll call her Dr. A. Dr. A has been a pillar in uh, this community with One World, and she talks, so she says a story. You know, she's really about her, she says, my life calling is really about helping people with autism realize greater well-being. And so, you know, she's got three children diagnosed with autism, and, um, but they're not diagnosed chronologically. You know, she's uh, she's got four boys and one girl, and says her third child, her only daughter, was diagnosed autism first. You know, she noticed that, you know, when her daughter was 21 months old, she slowly stopped speaking and began withdrawing into herself. You know, after testing and evaluations through Prince George's County's early intervention program, her child was diagnosed with autism. At that time, Dr. A was pregnant with her fifth, fifth and last child. And um, when that child, a son, was a year old, she noticed a lack of progression in speech. And so she said that Aiden was not using his words, you know, and also knows behaviors such as spinning objects and hearing difficulties. And so, you know, she said at that point her radar was up. And, um, you know, she talked about how it was a painful time and time for reflection. And she realized she could make a difference. And she started contacting other parents and school officials and eventually creating a parent coalition. And so that coalition led to founding a nonprofit, One World Center for Autism, which she ran for 14 years. And then she branched off to create Spectrum of Hope, pediatric practice whose goal is to identify children with autism, link, child, link children to services, and support families. And you know, the autism diagnosis for Dr. A's last child unfolded differently from the other two. And it was like he lived in the shadow of the two others. 
you know, who were more profoundly affected. And she says she looks back on his childhood and she remembers him being socially distant, um, but not having the same speech delays as the other children. That's why, you know, autism is different. You know, I know a lot of parents with children living with autism and we share a lot in common, but at the same time, there's individual things about our children that is different, you know? Um, You know, she talked about that son being initially diagnosed with ADHD and then she began having social, you know, social concerns um, with him through late elementary school and middle school. And then by the time he turned 18, she said he was also diagnosed with autism. And so it's not uncommon for a child to have a, a, a diagnosis of ADHD and autism. Um, and so she talked about hope as a word she frequently uses with parents from the beginning of her work with them. You know, she said it's her favorite word in the English language. And, you know, she tells parents and caregivers that they've got to build connections. Autism is a journey you can't take alone. You'll become overwhelmed by it. You'll become more isolated, more depressed if you don't make connections. She also urges parents to learn what autism looks like in their children. It's a spectrum, and no two children look exactly alike. And that is true. That is true. So shout out to Dr. Abila. You know, Spectrum of Hope, Health, and Wellness, and Community Services. You know, she can, they can be reached at 301-850-8955. You can email them directly, abilla at spectrum-hope.com. And so shout out to Dr. A. Keep doing your thing, Dr. A, uh, because you have been doing a lot for this community as well. And so I'm going to shift gears to another story. And this is more on a, a celebrity level. Um, I came across a tweet on um, Saturday, I think it was. Um, Someone retweeted, and it's from Trey Young. If many of you don't know who Trey Young is, Trey Young is the budding superstar guard that plays for the NBA Atlanta Hawks. And so... You know, his tweet was effing sad. No kid should ever have to go through this. Not physically capable enough to protect himself. And the other kids know that too. You clowns. Somebody please get me Joshua's info. So it goes on to talk about, um, and there was this young lady named Maya. She calls herself the low-key, the low-key Hawaiian. She said the autistic sixth grade boy named Joshua was physically attacked by his peer, at Alcott Middle School in Norman, Oklahoma. Now, Trey Young is from Oklahoma. I think he is from Norman. He played basketball, college basketball, Oklahoma. So he's an Oklahomian, native Oklahomian. And it says the bully had been picking on Josh for for some quite some time, and he had even been jumping at Joshua in the hallways to try to get him to flinch. And so she posted a video of this kid trying to try to get after him. Um, and she said the sad part about it is that Joshua wasn't even supposed to be in his class when he got attacked. His specialized learning teacher was not present the day of the incident, and MPS, whoever MPS is, I think MPS is probably what, Norman, Norman Public Schools? 
because in Norman, Oklahoma, the MPS failed to make sure that there was a backup plan for Joshua when his teacher wasn't present, ultimately forcing this young man into this situation, right? She said, Joshua is literally the sweetest kid ever, and she's got a video of him. Um, he doesn't. He didn't deserve what happened to him, and not only not and not only are Alcott Middle School and Norman Public Schools to blame. Every person who sat there and watched while their peer was being insulted is to blame as well. And that I agree on. That I agree on. You know, these kids got to stop wanting to take video and take action. This kid. I mean, as soon as that kid started picking on that kid, somebody should have jumped up and checked that kid. And where was the teacher at in the classroom? There should have been a teacher in that classroom that should have been breaking it up. And so she talks about the mother claims that when it was all said and done, administrators at Alcott Middle School refused to acknowledge her son was being bullied. They instead told her he got his pride hurt. How you get his pride hurt when he was literally assaulted by someone twice his size? And so shout out to Maya Loki Hawaiian on Twitter. Um for, for covering this and creating such a thread with all this information in it. Um, and so the Oklahoma communities, especially Sooner Nation, came together, you know, to show this, this, this young man Joshua some love. You know, I got a son named Joshua as well um, that is living with autism. Um, and so, you know, she talked about there being a board meeting at NPS and she gave um, the day, I think it's this Tuesday, I think it might be tomorrow at 1.30 at the NPS admin building and she goes on to give the address of the administration building and she's like, let's show up and show out, show Joshua we care and that he's not alone. If Sooner Nation could come through on Tuesday like they did on Twitter today, we can change. We can make that change. And so they've created a Twitter account, Justice for Joshua 22, Justice for Joshua underscore 22 on Twitter. So go check out his Twitter, their Twitter account at Justice for jo- Justice, the number four, Josh underscore 22. Um, check, his, check his Twitter handle out on Twitter. And of course, my man, my guy I follow on Instagram and Twitter, who puts out a lot of great content, great author, Syracuse Orangeman Eton Thomas chimed in. He said, that bully is a punk, but why has this been allowed? Teachers, faculty, and other students. This is being done in plain sight and nobody and nobody has to put a stop to it? Nobody? This is how tragedies end up happening. I agree. I agree. I agree. And then there's a guy who uh, goes by Sooner Maverick, said, I got a sixth grade son who was a five-time Oklahoma State wrestling champion. I showed him this, and he told me to tell the kid doing the bullying that he would give him six months of all the bullying he wants if he's, if he's not too scared to. Wow. People are coming out. People are coming out for Joshua. This this dude said he got a son that's in the sixth grade. He's a five-time Oklahoma State wrestling champion. And he showed the video to his son. <clears throat> and he told, he said, he said, tell that kid doing the bullying, he'll I, he will give him six minutes of all the bullying he wants to if he's not too scared. 
So people coming to support my man. To support him. Truly. Truly, truly, truly. So go to at Justice for the number four, Josh underscore 22 on Twitter. Follow him. He's getting love, and he should get love, man. I mean, this stuff shouldn't have to go on, man. This is this is a real pervasive problem, man. There's no reason for it. And you're taking advantage of people who can't really look out for themselves, man. That's sad. That's really sad. That is really sad. And so the Oklahoma breakdown with um, Eichert and Liam talked about it today, I guess talked about it on this show. You know, um, and of course, just, you know, Josh's Twitter account said, thank you for using your platform to raise awareness to Joshua's story. I truly want to use this experience and platform to change the way people look at children and disabilities because they are superheroes that need love and can change the world. So shout out to the Oklahoma breakdown with Icard and Lehman. They show showing love to Joshua. Um, so yeah, man, you know, it's one of those situations, man. Um, you know, coach Porter Moser has chimed in, said he's with Trey Young. He said he's there to help. So, you know, he's the head, he's the head men's basketball coach of, of Oklahoma. Oh, Porter Moser, shout out to Porter Moser for stepping in and want to help. So yeah, man. You know, that's that's how it should be, man. We got to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves, man. It's sad. It is sad, man. That's one of the fears that I had, you know, when Joshua was, you know, coming up through school, that bold bullying thing, man. And we were truly blessed that he really didn't experience that. I mean, he experienced one time when he was in middle school, but we was able to get that squash. But other than that, you know, he wasn't really bullied, you know, through school, and, and we thank God for that. But shout out to Trey Young. Shout out to Justice for Josh on the score 22. And while I'm on shout outs, you know, I like to do shout outs. And so shout out to uh, Dr. A, Abila Tazanu over at Hope. I gave her information earlier, and there's a couple shout outs I want to give out. And like I said, I do these shout outs, man, not because I'm a paid sponsor or advertiser. You know, but these are just people that I know and follow on the social media, Twitters and Instagrams and stuff like that. And, you know, I follow them on there. I see the things that they're doing. And so I just like to give them a shout out, man. You know, like I said, it ain't about fame or money or whatever case may be. Or me saying, hey, I'm trying to get a sponsorship shit deal from you or whatever case may be. You know, just trying to support people, man. That's what it's all about. So first shout out to my man, Terrence Jackson. Brother Terrence Jackson, he's an Oklahoma Sooner too. Um, he's an Oklahoma Sooner as well. Um, he has a clothing company, a faith-based clothing athletic wear company called AG365. Um, they started out as Armor Glory though. And I remember having a conversation with him one day and he talked about how, you know, Under Armour came after him. And so he had to change the name of his company. His, name, his company's name was Armor Glory. You know, Armor Glory. 
I mean, that ain't Under Armour. It's Armour Glory. But he said, you know, Under Armour came after him, man, so he had to change it. So it's now AG365. Um, you can find him on Instagram at agfaith365. You can find his his, his stuff on uh, his his clothing line at agfaith.com. Um, his official uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter handles for his company on Instagram is agfaith365official. That's agfaith365official. And on Twitter is aglive underscore ag365. Again, shout out to my man, Terrence Jackson, AG365, a faith-based athletic wear company, doing good things. So check him out. Go on Instagram, check him out, AG365. That's his personal account. Check him out on his, his uh, website, agfaith.com, and agfaithofficial, agfaith365 official on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's AG, I'm sorry, at live underscore AG365. All right, that's my man, Terrence Jackson. Big up to my man, Terrence Jackson, Oklahoma Sooner. My man is, goes to my same church, First Baptist first about Church of Glenard. He's got some good products, man. So check him out. Then I want to shout out, I'm going to go, I want to go Eastern Shore for a minute. Eastern Shore for a minute and give a shout out to um, Jones Mini Mart. People are like, what's Jones? Jones Mini? What's Jones Mini Mart? For those people that are natives of Groove City, that go to Groove City on a regular basis or live in Groove City right now, knows Jones Mini Mart is at the corner of Pine and Washington Street, right? Owned by DeAdrian and Sheila Jones. Shout out to Sheila Jones, my classmate, aka Sheila Johnson, and DeAdrian Jones, little cuz. They got the. Jones Mini Mart, 739 Pine Street. <clears throat> Shout out to them. Go check them out if you're in Groove City, corner of Washington Street and Pine. Check them out. Also want to shout out uh, Groove City Mini Mart. Groove City Mini Mart. Uh, they got two locations. One is at 605 Pine Street, um, right across the street. It's up top. Those who uh, grew up in Groove City, you know what up top is. It's up top. Up Pine Street, that's up top. What y'all doing that, man? I'm going up top. It's up top. So it's on 605 Pine Street, uh, Groove City on Pine Street. And uh, Isaac Ill Kid Adams, DJ Ill Kid. Um, you can find um, Groove City Mini Mart if you're on Instagram. On IG, it's Groove underscore City underscore Mini Mart underscore Mini underscore Market. That's Groove City Mini Market, DJ Ill Kid, Isaac Adams. He's got two locations, 605 Pine Street. And then he's got the Groove City Superstore at 441 Ray Street, downtown Cambridge. So go check out Groove City Mini Mart and Groove City Superstore, 605 Pine Street, 441 Ray Street, Cambridge, Maryland. Shout out to DJ Ill Kid, Isaac Adams. Uh, if you need a DJ, you know, hit him up. He's got a daughter. A really talented daughter, DJ China Doll. Check her out too. And then I want to shout out a former Maryland Terpian national champion, a Chris Friel Crabber, Andre Collins. He uh, he was uh, he played on the national championship team. He went to he grew up down in 
Chris Field. I think he played for Chris Field High School um, and uh, went on to play at University of Maryland College Park. He was on that national championship team with Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, all those cats when they won the national championship. Uh, check out Dre. He's got an IG account on Instagram. Dre, D-R-E underscore F-O-R-E underscore three. Dre for three. Dre underscore F-O-R-E underscore three. And uh, he's got several businesses going on. He got a joint called Downtown Sneaks on IG. It's Downtown Sneaks, all one word, dot one. Um, check his website out, downtownsneaks.com. And that's located at 940 West Main Street in Crisfield, Maryland. Um, so check out my man Dre Collins over at Downtown Sneaks. Again, his IG account is downtownsneaks.1. And his website is downtownsneaks.com, located at 940 West Main Street in Crisfield, Maryland. He also is a trainer, too, basketball trainer. He's got the Lab Basketball. And you can find the Lab Basketball on IG. Uh, it's uh, at the Lab underscore basketball. So he's running that over there with Coach Amber. So, you know, you want to get your kids some work because everybody out there has got a trainer for basketball or football, but his is basketball, so he got a nice, nice little gym spot over there called the lab where he gets some young kids in there, young and older kids in there, and trains them up. Um, so check him out. Downtown Sneaks, the lab basketball. Groove City Mini, Mark, Mini Market, Groove City Superstore in Groove City, DJ Ill Kid, Isaac Ill Kid Adams, Jones Mini Mart to Adrian and Sheila Jones. Shout out to classmate Sheila, 739 Pine Street. And of course, my man Terrence Jackson with AG365. He's uh, at AGFaith365. Go to AGFaith.com. Um, and that's it, man. You know, that's it for the podcast. Love talking to y'all, man. Um, but I'm going to spice this thing up. Probably in the next couple episodes or probably going forward, I need a co-host. I need somebody I can sit on here and chop it up with. I enjoyed uh, chopping it up with my man, um, Kevin, the sixth man, Williams. We did a we did a little show together. Also, my man, Big O, O.D. Lewis family. We did a show together. So, you know, for those of you who check out my podcast, if you want to be on it, let me know. Hit me up. Shoot me a text or shoot me a message on those platforms that I post on. Let me know you want to be on the show. We can hook up, talk about a topic, go, go over some topics, talk about it, you know, uh, chop it up a little bit, you know, um, and get this thing popping, man. So big ups to all those who have shouted out. Also, big ups to... I am athlete and big ups to the pivot. We I talked about that last week and I am athlete did a fascinating segment that's coming out with Antonio Brown. Right? And so, you know, that's coming out on Monday. So I'm gonna talk about that on Monday or for, for this next coming upcoming podcast. Cause I think it's fast. I've been hearing people talking about it, saying you got to look at it, and once you look at it, you'll realize that that dude ain't crazy. 
That's what a lot of people are saying. You look at it, you realize that dude ain't crazy. And then a lot of this stuff is really what they make it out to be. But, you know, I'll see it for myself. Check it out. Uh, in the meantime, peace and blessings, everybody. Please be safe. Wear your mask, social distance. Wash your hands. Do what you need to do. And thank God for everything that you have. Thank God for everything that you that you have the ability to do. And thank God for being gracious and merciful to you. We are all not perfect people. But we can strive to be the best people that we can. Operate with integrity, honesty, authenticity, and realness. Stop complaining. Stop criticizing. Just be thankful for what you have. Thankful for the blood. Thankful for your blessings. Shout out to shout out to Sarah Whalen, Pam Talley. Shout out to Reverend Sylvia Taylor, my sister Delisha, sister Michelle Hewitt, sister Liz Wormley, Laquita, Lawrence, my special needs ministry crew. Shout out to First Baptist Church of Glenarden, Pastor John K. Jenkins, First Lady Trina. Shout out to everybody. Shout out to my family, Babs, Blue, Slim, Tupac, Poochie, <laughs> and all my cousins, Nisi, Rodney, all my cousins, all my peoples, men laws, nieces and nephews, Dad Britt, John Tone, Tone Bones, sister-in-law, Don and Gwen. Shout out to everybody, man. Shout out to everybody. Peace and blessings. Shout out to my boys too. My crew, Gav, Cooge, aka Jerome, aka Admiral, Action Jackson, Ron, Ronaldus, Dante, the Squirm. Shout out to them. Shout out to my faith brothers, D. Carter, B. Hodges, Q. Big brother Jeff, big brother Skip. Shout out to all those fellas. Big brother Bruce. Shout out. Big brother Angelo. Shout out to everybody, man. I don't know. I just feel like in a shout out mood, man. I'm supposed to be ending this show, but I'm still rambling on. But I just hope you enjoyed the content this week. Uh, if you got any ideas, hit me up. But like I said, I'm looking for somebody I can bring on as maybe a co-host or a special guest that we can bring on so we can chop it up together. Go back and forth, banter a little bit, keep it real, keep it keep it funny, keep it fresh, keep it clean, you know, talk about some real stuff, let you know my thing is this, you let me know your thing is that, and keep it moving. Um, trying to work with my ladies, Sarah and Pam on doing something, doing a podcast specifically related to disabilities, so we're trying to work out the logistics on that, and so... You know, we're just trying to do that thing, man. Just trying to put some words out there, man, that people can roll with. And on that note, I'm out. Like what you hear so far. Thank you, our generous listeners. And also thank the mighty man of God himself.
Remember, like, subscribe. Also, share this podcast. I'm on Anchor FM and Spotify. Make sure you share this with your family, friends, and loved ones across all social media platforms. We are back to the show. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. And then remember, the next time somebody says something suspect, or eh, tell them my thing is this, because your opinion matters. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Have a blessed week, and we are out. Oh,